0: More recently, I've seen from other media buyers that TikTok is just not performing. It's got good click-through rates and strong click-through rates, but the conversion rate is pretty low.
1: I've heard the same thing with TikTok, particularly like starting like around Black Friday, mm-hmm. where uh, everyone who was using TikTok as the bedrock of their social media marketing strategy or paid social strategy was like, this strategy is not working anymore and Facebook is working again. I'm not sure what happened. Like, I'm not sure if it's just, do they have a bunch of new users who don't purchase anything? are there bots that are giving you a bunch of free clicks but not purchasing anything like what is the problem here but i've i've heard a lot of uh, marketers or a lot of e-commerce businesses basically say when it came to Q4 TikTok failed us and Meta was Meta was atlas welcome
0: to season 2 of limited supply the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like we're your hosts Nick and Moyes. let's get into it
1: and start making money
0: Growing your business is hard, but Triple Whale is all about scaling your Shopify store to the moon and doing it profitably.
1: Okay, what I'm supposed to read is is it says use promo code SUPPLY15 to get 15% off when you sign up for Triple Whale at triplewhale.com. But I really mean DM me on Twitter and I will get you 20%. I'm going to go fight the CEO and I'm going to be like, get 20% off of these guys. So just DM me and I'll get you 20%. Season 2, episode 11, year is almost over you know, the Super Bowl of e-commerce is over. Things are starting to die down. There's probably a week of really hard work left in 2022. So we've got a bunch of discuss- stuff to discuss
0: today. Yeah, I'm excited. We got two weeks left. And surprisingly, I think this is going to be one of the most packed episodes we have this season.
1: Yeah, this is a good one. All right. uh, okay, we're going to talk about social media performance, and we're going to hit up the big four, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and Pinterest. We're going to talk about private labels, because I've started to see a bunch of stuff come out about that in the news. We've got a great lightning round where we're going to talk about everything from a new CEO of Honest to Kevin O'Leary. And then we're going to do a final segment where we talk about sites that we love, conversion rate optimization, answer some questions uh, from Twitter as well. Awesome. Uh, So let's start with social media and TikTok in particular. You know, I've been seeing a lot of stuff. on. Well, first, you know, apparently like there's a bipartisan bill in Congress right now about possibly banning TikTok in the United States. What's your gut reaction
0: to that? There's like I think five or six states that have already banned it, but it, that's the headline, and then you read the sub headline, and it's banned on government devices. Why is TikTok on these government devices? In the <laughs> yeah, first place? yeah, fair enough. <laughs> what are they doing? I would expect no app other than like government official apps to be on a government phone. Yeah, you know, because apps like they take they suck data out. Sure, I feel like it's a political thing. I think all the states are are red states that have bandit from their government devices. And I would imagine it's more of like a political play versus a, you know, let's actually take it off because it's doing something harmful. But that said, I mean, Trump got pretty close to removing it entirely from the country.
1: Yeah, that is uh, bonkers to me. You know, I'm not sure how they can do that, actually. Like, they could do it as like a, you know, this a foreign threat because there's like a yeah. foreign end well, in India United does States. it, right? India
0: doesn't have TikTok.
1: Yeah, India does it. But like, you know, India isn't governed by the U.S. Constitution, right? Yeah. Like U.S. Constitution says, hey, you have the freedom of speech and like, you know, you should have the freedom of expression of speech, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if the United. What can they next say Facebook is banned and, uh, you know, Instagram is gives
0: us 20 percent of ad spend. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> uh, and so I'm not sure how I feel about it from a legality perspective. I, from a, you know, mind attention perspective, I'd love for someone to take it off of my phone. I can't physically do it myself because I'm so addicted to it, but it's not good for my mind. I feel like every time I use it, I am like when I, I have to like zone out when I'm done, uh, when I close up the app because it can't be good for my mind. But I do feel like, you know, from a national security perspective, there are probably incredible ramifications. Like, you know, what if every single video they promoted for three days leading up to an election was Hunter Biden's penis on a lap? You know, like that would- affect an election like totally. can somebody can a foreign actor uh, affect an election i think 2016 and 2020 have definitely proven that they can do we want to do anything about that yes do we want to ban things i'm not sure like i don't know how i feel about that
0: yeah i don't know how that's going to end up what have you heard from other marketers in terms of performance what i've heard is that it's good up until a certain point but you can't get to the scale that you're able to get to on meta and more recently i've seen from other media buyers that TikTok is just not performing. It's got good click-through rates and strong click-through rates, but the conversion rate is pretty low.
1: I've heard the same thing with TikTok, particularly like starting like around Black Friday, Mm -hmm. where uh, everyone who was using TikTok as the bedrock of their social media marketing strategy or paid social strategy was like, this strategy is not working anymore and Facebook is working again. I'm not sure what happened. Like, I'm not sure if it's just, do they have a bunch of new users who don't purchase anything? Are there bots that are giving you a bunch of free clicks but not purchasing anything? Like, what is the problem here? But I've I've heard a lot of uh, marketers or a lot of e-commerce businesses basically say when it came to Q4, TikTok failed us and meta was meta was Atlas. Yeah. It's the person who's holding up the world. And you know, the more pressure you put on it, the more strength it has to hold up the world. You know, I, I think Q4 proved again that meta's dominant. Like, if anyone was wondering, is Meta no longer the be- like the behemoth, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the number one social network in the world? Q4 proved again that Facebook reigns supreme.
0: I've seen a lot of, like, laziness into TikTok ads in Q4. Like, I think one possible reason TikTok did really well for most people before Q4 is they were just putting more effort into the creative Versus I've seen a lot of brands just putting, you know, like a a motion graphics background with text flying in something that's like not native to the platform. That's possible. I think another thing people could test is running the same creative they're running on TikTok on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. We've generally seen that, like, if you're at a, you know, two and a half percent click through rate, you can usually get to like double that when you use a TikTok creative on Facebook and Instagram And then the last thing I think is I've always looked at TikTok organically. Like if a product goes viral organically, it does really well to sell a product out. Like if you find something organically on your For You page that's gone viral, let's say it's a a pepper spray or whatever it is, like it's always sold out when you go and try to Google it. Whereas the inverse happens with ads where... The ad is like a good conversation starter and good thing to put something in somebody's head but doesn't necessarily lead to a conversion. And so I think the better way to run TikTok ads would be running it to uh, TikTok has this product called like TikTok instant Pages. It's their own version of a landing page yeah. product. and uh, you don't have a browser loading and you don't I don't think you get the pixel pixel firing in your browser, but you get, you can immediately just collect first party data, whether it's an email, a phone number in some kind of a cheeky way where somebody feels like they're getting something out of giving their email to you.
1: Yeah. And so do you believe that like it's more top of funnel? Is that what you're sort of saying? Because it's sort of like, um, it's not leading to conversion. I wonder if at this point in time people have realized, you know what, I go to TikTok for entertainment like I would Netflix and so I'm not there to, I'm not in the purchasing mindset yeah. while when I go to Facebook, I realize I'm going to be, you know, bombarded with ads and so I'm, I may be a little bit more receptive to it. I don't think it's that actually. I just think that on Facebook, Facebook has a better understanding of every site you visited, your history, understanding what you're going to purchase and your purchase intent. So that's why they dominate. I don't think it's, that uh, TikTok is more entertainment based. I do believe that TikTok ads are like, you know, it is much harder to create creative. Like one of the best things about Facebook is it's super easy to create a square photo. And then it's super easy to make that a vertical image for a story if you're just running static images. Like static images can still be a material part of your social media creative strategy on Facebook. And they're really easy to crank out. You can crank out 20 with Photoshop in an hour. And the videos are really difficult. And so I think that's part of it is like, you're probably right, people are getting lazy because Facebook is so good. And they're like, let's lean into the thing that's easy and performs better.
0: One thing we've seen is Sparking Ads has a CPC that's about half of when you run ads from scratch. So loading ad creative in and running it as an ad versus using a creative that's like, let's say you you have cadence capsules, you send out product to 75 people and you know, the 20 that get, let's say 50,000 views, you throw ads behind them. And the five that get 200,000 views, you throw ads behind them. Those CPCs are way more efficient and we've seen like 50% wow. compared to when you run ads from scratch. And so I think a lot of people try to run ads from scratch. It's uh, uh, That's the faster way to do it on TikTok. But the more effective way is what you said. How do you get creators who are native to the For You page, how do you get them to create content that is entertaining using the product yeah. and then put ad spend behind that?
1: Let's pivot a little bit to Facebook for a yeah. second. One of the old strategies on Facebook used to be run ads to your best customers Spend like you've got a new creative okay spend a hundred dollars on your best customers and what they will do is every single comment will be i love this product i love this product i love this product it's this yeah. the greatest thing in the whole world this supplement uh fixed my teeth. I no longer get cavities. It's amazing. And then what you do is you change the audience and you go from a retention audience to a prospecting audience. Cause then when the prospecting audience is looking at your ads, they see really positive comments from customers that you've sort of selectively picked to post fantastic comments. Yeah. And that used to be an old strategy with with, with Facebook. And it sounds like that's a little bit of the same motivation here, which is you want someone who's put a lot of engaging stuff out there and you want to promote those posts. When I was running ads a long time ago, five or six years ago with Native, there was this one Canadian company They were like, we're spending more than $100 million a year on nutraceuticals. And they're like, what we will do is we will, when we create an ad, we've tested this and it works. We'll actually create a hundred of these Algorithmically, we'll create a hundred of the exact same one, Hmm. and the one that gets the more positive feedback right out of the gate is the one that we'll stick with, and we'll turn off the other ninety-nine because that one that had positive feedback and positive engagement really early on in the first twenty-five minutes of launching it, the Facebook algorithm is like this ad is a good ad; people actually want to consume this content. And the other ninety-nine, even though they, you know, it's the exact same creative, the exact same text, everything's the same. They just didn't get engagement right out of the gate, or it got somebody that said, "Don't show me the." ad, it got negative feedback, God forbid. And then they're like, we got to turn all those off because those are all garbage compared to this one stellar one, which I thought was a really interesting way of doing this.
0: Yeah. We used to do that at Hint. We would uh, use this tool called Ad Espresso and you could put in, you know, three or four images, three or four headlines, three or four uh, ad text. It would turn out, you know, 96 creatives and we would launch it with five grand and spend. And by the end of the first day of running, it was pretty clear, like which ones are the winners and which ones are not. And so then you would turn off like, you know, probably half the next day you turn off half again. And, you know, then you're down to like 20 and then you basically scale it down to five and then you crank it up to 30 K a day for the ad set. Yeah. And then also on the on the engagement thing that totally works. I think on any platform that works. Yeah anytime they're social proof. In fact, one thing we've been doing with some of our clients on 1180 is we'll not include exclusions for customers simply because people will comment with a question of, you know, is there a lot of sugar in this? Does this taste sweet? Is this compatible with my mattress, for example? And existing customers will jump in and respond yeah. and be the advocates yeah. or the evangelists of the product of yeah. the brand.
1: That's so true. It happens all the time. To be honest, the exclusions don't work as well as I thought that they would work. Especially like, not now. Yeah. And so as a result, you, even if you are excluding, you still have your existing customers yeah. entering the conversation and either advocating or destroying your brand, depending on whether they love it or not. Yeah. Anyway, that's what we used to do at Facebook. I, I remember Espresso, That guy, what, we were, I was sitting at- uh, Massimo, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Uh, I, uh, I worked out of this really crappy, but amazing co-working space in San Francisco called the Founders Dojo. Yeah. And it was me, actually Sam Parr was there, and so was this guy who started some leather goods business and a guy who started this Amazon um, you know consulting business. And all of us built big businesses out of the crappiest co-working space possible. But he came by and he's like, let me show walk you through espresso. And he, I'll never forget this lesson he taught me, which is he he's like, here are two photos. That were used on Facebook and all of the text around them was the same. Which photo do you think did better in terms of creative? And everyone was like, you know, the one that looks really nice that obviously you had a professional photographer do, and not the one that looks like it was drawn by a six-year-old that's a stick figure. Yeah. And he's like, Well, it's the stick figure. <laughs> and this is proof that you have no idea what will work better. No matter how many, he's like, you know, I've seen hundreds of millions of dollars in spend. I still wouldn't know which one works better. And so don't have the arrogance to think that you know what works better. You know, you're trying to judge how 10 million people will react based on your own gut instinct. And that's virtually impossible. Not completely impossible, but virtually impossible. And so don't have that type of arrogance there were so many ad platforms like that, like ad Express. There was another one called Nanigans. Yep. They all disappeared because the Facebook ad manager got so good. Yeah, uh, But for a while they were like dominating the platforms.
0: Yeah. And also one side note on that is uh, we've been having this discussion with some of our clients lately, which is like, you know, they'll say kind of something similar, like, oh, we want the most beautiful shot. We yeah. want the, the perfect creative to be, you know, uh, the one that runs in the ad. And We'll run something, whether it's a, a promotion or a creative that's like slightly not perfection, because uh, we know that it's going to perform better than something that looks like it's out of a catalog. Yeah. And, you know, their first instinct is always, well, what about our brand equity? Yeah. It's like, well, what What brand equity with no customers are yeah. you talking about?
1: When, when people say brand equity, I'm like, money is your brand equity. Yeah, like, c- hey, like, you want to grow this business, right? You want sales or do you want to fundraise and get diluted? Right. And so you own 0% of it. Exactly. Um, and so I'm not sure, you know, I've, there is some slight balance. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be like, you know, I'm going to shoot this dog if you don't purchase this product. <laughs> uh, although I've thought about saying that. What works, works. Exactly. So don't stop it. Like, yeah. don't shoot. You know, it's already hard to win on these marketing platforms. If you're uh, fighting a battle with one hand tied behind your back, you have no chance. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Okay, let's um, pivot a little bit, but stay within social media and talk about Twitter. Because we had this conversation earlier today, and I've seen this on Twitter uh, myself and like the e-commerce community, which is a bunch of drop shippers are now all over Twitter advertising, you know, obviously Chinese made products, yeah. drop ship to your home for a $1.99. You know, they're like, here's here's this beautiful watch yeah. that I'm like- It's yeah. normally
0: 75 Yeah. You'll get it for 49 I, Yeah, right? that's
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the first time I've seen that on Twitter. In fact, I've never seen e-commerce ads on Twitter. I've tried it once and it was a spectacular failure. I spent a couple hundred dollars pre-Elon Musk owning Twitter. Is Twitter now a viable platform? Do you know anyone doing this? I don't. I I
0: have run Twitter ads in the past and never really had a good result. In fact, running Twitter ads is what got me to understand how to better use Twitter as a platform. I realized that the click-through rate was so low And it's because people don't want to leave the platform necessarily. The platform is built in a way where all the information should be within the app versus having to click out and go to a browser. And so running Twitter ads five or six years ago actually gave me the insight to change the way that uh, when we were at Hint, how we use Twitter as a distribution platform. But I've seen the same thing. I mean, there's fidget spinners, there's little drones that you throw and they come back Uh, They're all selling right now, drop shipping products with, you know, timers when you get to the PDP. So it made me think earlier today, like we should probably start running ads on Twitter and, you know, if these guys can afford it, like these guys, we know their margins are what, 10% maybe. And so if they can afford it and it's working for them, there's probably a good chance it could work. My hunch is that there's been some development around like the pixel and around how good the engine is to serve ads. I do remember Elon's tweeted here and there about like how accounts are recommended and how tweets are recommended within a feed and how your algorithm is created. And so he did also mention that he wants to combine the way that these models work versus having a separate model for advertising, a separate model for tweet recommendations. So it's possible that the engine has just gotten stronger. It blows
1: my mind that that could have happened in two months that he's owned Twitter And frankly, Twitter doesn't have enough Pixels across the internet to have information as to like, you know, he could have made the engine better. But Twitter Pixel doesn't live on 90% of Shopify stores, I bet. Even Pinterest Pixel lives on 90% of Shopify stores. Facebook Pixel lives on 100. So I I don't believe that they've got the information and the understanding of their users. Twitter for a long time didn't know your birthday. And didn't know your gender, and yeah. so I don't think they've got the information to do a good job of targeting ads. What I think has actually happened is there are so many larger multinational corporations have abandoned the Twitter platform until they understand how the Elon Musk acquisition is going to shake out. That CPMS have collapsed, and you know there was rumors that they were uh, matching your spend dollar for dollar. So if you agreed to spend a million dollars in December 2022, they would give you a free million dollars in spend in January 2023. Wow! Because they're like, we need you to spend money now, because right. you know the. GMs of the world have left and they're waiting to see how things shake out. And so they were like, look, our ad volume has gone d- down so much. I think that's actually what's happened is their ad sales have done so poorly that they're trying to encourage direct response advertisers to get on Twitter. And CPMs have gone down so much that, you know, direct response advertisers are finding a little bit of success there. Wow. Well, I'll be jumping on Twitter ads tonight. Yeah. I
0: sleep. Yeah. Setting yeah. up some accounts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's do one more pivot, which is Pinterest. So I recently uh, had lunch with this guy who's like, I have. Ins- he's like, I see a billion dollars of ad spend every year. I see it going through a platform, and he's like, it's international ad spend. He's like, generally, people have said, uh, you know, the the best social platforms are Facebook, TikTok, Snap, and then Pinterest. Uh, I've always thought Pinterest ad platform is better than the Snap ad platform, or has been more direct response positive. From everyone I've heard or from a bunch of people I've heard from, this Q4, Pinterest has been a complete disaster. They've announced one new feature. Like, you know, on Facebook ads, if you say, I want to spend $100 today on an ad, it'll go up or down a little bit. It's not exactly $100. All the, like, yeah. they don't spend $100 exactly. Right. In the past, Pinterest has always spent exactly $100. They would never spend a penny more or a penny less. Until now, they created a beta where they will spend a penny more or a penny less. Um, I've what heard from people-
0: What does that do for the ads? Or like, how does that run the ads differently?
1: Uh, basically, where they're like, um, like on the weekends, like Pinterest has more impressions on Sundays than any other day. Hmm. So if your budget is $100 on Monday and $100 on Sunday for the same ad, which it probably is because you're not adjusting budgets every 24 hours. Right. Well, guess what? On Sunday, it could have probably shown to more people and you could have gotten better. You know, you could have spent $125 or even too, you know, a little bit more money and had good results. And on Monday, when there's fewer people using Pinterest, maybe you should have, only spent $85 Got and the like $15 would be better allocated to Sunday than Monday. And Pinterest is like, we will do that automatically and allocate it to the correct day, except they're not doing it well. And, uh, it's been a disaster.
0: Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. It's
1: very Pinterest of them actually. Yeah. I uh, don't think
0: I've ever had a brand find success on Pinterest. We've worked with a spirits brand where we ran basically Pinterest ads to like advertorials. Yeah. And that worked okay, but the goal was not conversion. It was like getting somebody to click on a store locator. So that did well. I think we had like a five-minute time on site, which was solid, but there was no conversions directly.
1: Yeah. This this is a great time to talk about that story that you were telling me just before we started.
0: Yeah. So there's this tequila brand that we used to work with. Basically, what their goal was was to sell more cases in retail. So they have distribution in Costco, Sam's Club, Walmart, Target, and they do sell online through uh, Reserve Bar. But what we were trying to do was get more people in the store. So, what we did was we set up these landing pages based on different states. So, you know, if you're in California, you get to a landing page, it's got tequila the way that California drinks it versus Texas. It's like a different way that Texas drinks tequila. On that landing page, you know, you've got your standard landing page modules, a hero, whatever. And then the goal was always to get a click into a store locator to find it near you. So what we did was we would run them as conversion ads on Facebook. We would set the conversion event to be pixeled behind the button that clicks to the store locator. So in Facebook's mind, once somebody clicks the ad, the next conversion is like they get to the uh, landing page and click that button. So they're running the same thing now under a new holding company. uh, They got acquired. And they were at like a 5.5% conver- uh, click-through rate on the ad when we were running. And, and that was actually through TikTok. So we would take the wow. best performing TikToks, run them on Facebook. And that's how we got 5.5% click-through rate. Combined with the fact that it was a conversion campaign, they decided, you know, they're old school alcohol marketers. So yeah. they're, they're now running it as reach and frequency. And they have a 0.43% click-through rate they're spending four times as much. They're getting no increase in sell-through volume of cases in their retail. And they can't seem to figure out why they're not able to get this. And it reminded me that defining your conversion event as a business, whether you are selling in retail, whether you're selling B2B and you're trying to get leads of offices or restaurants to buy your product, or you're selling on e-commerce. Defining the conversion event and making sure that the ad platforms know that you are tracking this against a KPI, some sort of a conversion KPI, makes a huge difference in the audience that you're ad is served to. So if you're running a reach and frequency ad or even like an engagement or a traffic campaign, you generally get shitty audience. You know, that's who Facebook says, all right, well, we're not even going to show the ad to our best people because we're going to save that for people who are willing to spend double or triple on CPM. We're just going to show this to more audiences that we know will click and then they'll get to the site and leave.
1: Yeah. Facebook once told me that like 20% of our uh, users are buyers and 80% are never buyers on the internet. Mm-hmm. And so everyone wants those 20% of people who will shop, you know, spend money or open up their credit card. Uh, 80% uh, like, you know, is for reach and frequency, but yeah, you have to define a conversion event. And if you don't, you're just like, you know, spending money into the, you're throwing yeah. your money into the ether.
0: And, and everybody like all these agencies call it middle of funnel. It's like traffic that hits your site and just never comes back. Yeah. I think it's just waste of money.
1: Yeah. It's uh, a total waste of money. Yeah. It's also like you call it middle of funnel and you're like, how do I track what middle of funnel is? Right. Like, you know, are you really tracking if someone clicked the top of funnel, then middle of fun, the funnel, and then bottom of funnel? Like, how did you track some one person across all three of these touch points? Yeah. There's a lot of, like, magic, especially when agencies are doing it. They're like, this is the magic that we do. And you're like, no, this is the numbers you made up yeah. so that you can justify so you can your... add your yeah. percentage. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Growing your direct-to-consumer business can be tough. Having out-of-date or inaccurate data makes it even harder. That's why I'm using Triple Whale. Their customer insights, attribution, and profit tracking means I can scale my Shopify stores to the moon.
1: Get a walkthrough on how Triple Whale can help you scale your store. Use promo code SUPPLY15 to get 15% off when you sign up at triplewhale.com. Or you can DM me on Twitter and I'm going to fight for 20% off. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about private label products. Love it. So one of the things that I saw about this, and I hadn't realized this in the past, is Edgewell has a very clear, Edgewell is this razor blade company, and they actually make the razor blades behind Billy. You know, Billy, like the women's. um, So they make these razor blades. And I didn't realize that Edgewell had like this private label brand, but they're basically like, hey, we will private label our razors and sell them to you under whatever brand you want and i knew that billy was using edgewell in the past and uh, edgewell ended up acquired, acquired yeah and edgewell ended up acquiring billy but i never realized that they had this program where like you know you could just contact them you know their their email address is group at up dot info, which is weird <laughs> and also pbg private brands group Inquiries at edgewell.com. They're like they're actually like hey we want to encourage other brands to develop products on the backs of our products And that's really interesting. I've never heard Harry's do this. I'm nearly certain P&G doesn't do this. Uh, P&G owns Gillette. And so I was really surprised to see this happening. Private label is really interesting to me. Like uh, Kirkland, you know, Kirkland is like Costco's private label brand and they like to private label everything. And there was an article I once read that said they wanted private label diapers. And there's really only two companies that make diapers, Huggies and Pampers. And so they went to Kimberly Clark, which makes Huggies and P&G that makes uh, Pampers. And they're like, hey, we want a private label diaper. And P&G was like, we never do that. We never private label our products. Absolutely not. And so Costco was like, get out of your Pampers. We're not selling any more Pampers. So the only diapers wow. you'll usually sell, see at Costco now are Huggies and Kirkland's own brand. Uh, and Kirkland's own brand, at least it was, was made by Huggies, yeah. Wow. And so I'm always curious to see what happens in like the private label market, particularly as we're entering like an economy that we're entering today, which is a little bit less stable and people may not feel as flush in their pocket than they, as they did two years ago. So there was this great Wall Street Journal article uh, that talked about private label products and the growth of private label. There was a Dutch supermarket chain that they, uh, they said, okay, this this supermarket chain in uh, the Netherlands, they also have uh, supermarket chains in the United States. So they have some in the uh, Europe and some in the United States. The, the ones in the United States are called Food Lion and Stop and Shop. Have you ever uh, shopped at a Food Lion? Uh, I have not. It was a really sketchy, supermarket store in the the South, like it was in Florida all the time and we'd go there and it was really sketchy. But anyway, in Europe, 50% of their sales at their supermarket chains come through private label products. In the United States, only 30% come through private label products, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Like, you know, people in Europe are more likely to gravitate towards private label products than people in the U.S. Um, They also talked about care which is this big supermarket chain in the U.K., 33% today of their sales are private label. They want to get it to 40%, I think, by the end of the year or by the end of next year or something like that. Maybe it was by the end of 2024, actually. But like 33% are private label, uh, 40% by the end of the year. They talked about this other one, which was the most interesting to me, which was called Asta. I've never heard of it. It's the UK's third largest supermarket chain, okay? And they were talking about how private label makes up the bedrock of their business. They're like, private label is why we exist, And Asta sells a bottle of ketchup for 42 pence or 51 U.S. cents, as opposed to Heinz, which sells it for uh, $3.46 for a similar size bottle. Like, they're selling it for one-sixth, one-seventh the price. Wow. They're selling mayonnaise, a 500-gram jar of mayonnaise. Uh, They sell them for 49 pence. While, you know, Hellman's, which is made by Unilever, sells for $240, so 20% of the price.
0: Wow. Um, um, Not Amazon. Well, Amazon does this too, but Trader Joe's does this. I mean, Mm -hmm. 95% of their store is private label, and it's all basically the same manufacturers you would normally buy, except they said, we're just going to go to the- one that allows us to private label yeah. and then, you know, instead of six coffee brands, we just have one.
1: Yeah. And that's still a high quality one. They're like, Very we general, we genuinely do real product development and manufacturing to do this.
0: Yeah. And the the other thing that I've seen is like they'll also go after they'll bring smaller businesses in to allow them basically cash flow while they build their brand. It's like, hey. You have a good product. You continue building your brand. We're going to order a million dollars of our separate stuff. Yeah. Give you some cash to help you guys do that. I was just looking up some of the Costco stuff. Have you ever tried the Kirkland water bottle? Yeah. Like have I ever tried favorite. it?
1: There's, and, yeah.
0: As, as a brown yes. man, that's a rite of passage.
1: Yes, yes. In fact, every time I go home, my mom is like, you need to buy 10 cases of this because <laughs> yeah. you can lift it. And
0: I refuse it. Yeah. That's made by Niagara, which makes some of the best water in the country. Their vodka comes from Grey Goose. Their yeah. coffee comes from Starbucks. Yeah, their scotch their, comes from McAllen. Yeah, it is like the best of the best brands are behind Kirkland products.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kirkland is not, look, they do a really good job curating products. And there's a lot of brand equity in the Kirkland brand. I think I it's terrible design, but like genuinely good products that people trust. It's trustable by immigrants. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know who else was doing this? Um, Walmart. Walmart would be, like, I think Target has done a great job of this. Maybe the yeah. best job cuz they're like they have a brand called Smartly and they were competing against like home care and personal care and like fabric care products and they're like like everyone like tries to compete with you on formula and no one spends 1 on mark on like uh packaging and that's the real hard part like you know I I want to go to Dwayne Reed and buy the Dwayne Reed brand cuz it's cheaper but I don't want it to say Dwayne Reed on my right. you know it- it, like next to my sink when guests come over cuz right. they're like god, was a cheap asshole <laughs> yeah And so I'm like, okay, let me spend the extra 30 cents for soft soap, but not the extra 30 cents for method. Like, you know, I'm not going to spend 60 cents more. I'm only going to spend 30 cents more. Target did a great job of being like, we're not going to brand it Target. We're going to brand it smartly. And we're going to spend a little bit of, Time on design. We're not just going to throw the ugliest product from some Chinese manufacturer. We're not going to be like, hey, Chinese manufacturer, what plastic components do you have in stock? Oh, here's the ugliest, cheapest one. Let's use this one. (laughs) They're like, let's spend the extra four cents right now and make this product look really good. And so people will actually buy it. And when I go to Target, I'm like, yeah, I will buy the Smartly brand over any other name product because I'm not like ashamed of it. And I enjoy the design. It's like inspirational or, you know, makes it's eye-pleasing. Um, Walmart did this with Native Deodorant. When we put Native Deodorant in Walmart, they created an Equate brand, uh, which was their Walmart private label and said like, compare to Native Deodorant. And I texted my mom that I was like, I made it. No, no, I was so pr- Sue them. I was like, I'm so proud. I made a product that Walmart is now trying to knock off. That's awesome. You know, they spent one penny on design. They're like, let's do the ugliest design. You know, the point of Native is, aside from a very efficacious product, we wanted it to look really good. And these guys, I had never bought it. So I'm not sure if it was efficacious, but I was like, nobody will look at this product and be like, you know what? I was going to buy this pretty brand and now I'm going to buy this disgusting looking brand. Exactly. And and I'm not sure why these retailers don't spend the, you know the extra 1% on COGS to be like, you know what, this 1% matters. How it looks on shelf matters. And you know who should know that? The guy who runs Walmart and the guy who runs Target. And yeah. I don't know why they don't spend the time doing that.
0: Ever since I was a kid, I remember Whole Foods had their 365 brand. Yeah. And I think they always did a good job Uh, Not only merchandising it in the stores, but also making sure it's not like a compare to type of brand. It's like its own brand. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Whole Foods and Amazon, first, I think there's been a real Amazonification of Whole Foods and like Five years ago, you couldn't tell, and now I'm like, oh, yeah, it feels like Amazon in here. Exactly. Like, there are no people. Everything is self-checkout. I got to yeah. scan my Whole Foods app. The way that the, the store is laid out yeah. is a
0: lot more efficient.
1: Yeah, yeah. It just and, and, like, you know, it just doesn't feel as, like, local or any of that kind of stuff. But in any case, Amazon has actually been the one company that's reducing private label products, particularly this year. They were doing like private label Allbirds. Like they were competing Mm -hmm. with Allbirds for a time. And uh, I think what happened is at one point they started using, like if Allbirds was selling on Amazon or if you were a company selling on Amazon as like a third party retailer, they took your data and ended up harnessing it for Amazon brands, even though they weren't supposed to. They were supposed to be like this Chinese wall between the two. And like they sort of didn't do that. And so, you know, third party sellers got mad and Amazon's like, okay, we should do this. And I think the FTC was like, we need to investigate you competing against your own retailers and what exact what data you're using and what data you're not using. And so Amazon is sort of taking the pedal, like, stop pressing the gas is hard at least right. when it comes to their own private label brands.
0: Yeah. And I think for them too, they probably realize like, well, if we, if we're the ones with all the brands, who where's the advertising gonna come from?
1: Yeah. Like the yeah. advertising revenue. Yeah. That's true. But I think that like, you know, they're like, look, our margin on our own brands is 80% probably. Yeah, like, or
0: they're just like, damn, this shit is hard.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that could be a, a, that could be it as well. But I think if they, like, you know, Costco supposedly has their own farms to make rotisserie chickens like they own the farm. You know, I, that's
0: their best selling product. The rotisserie, rotisserie chicken. Rotisserie chicken. I mean, I wouldn't be. In Trader
1: uh, Joe's, it's the orange chicken. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. People love chicken. Buy a lot. You know, at Amazon, I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, we're going to own our own battery manufacturer because yeah. they must sell so many batteries at this point. It doesn't make sense to private label anymore. Like they can eat yeah. 80% of the margin rather than 40% of the margin. Totally. Totally. Uh, but you know the one thing that I've realized is uh whenever there's a recession this happened uh, I don't I don't think you'll remember this but back in like 2006 2007 there was a the great financial crisis and brands like Tide came out with Tide Basic and Bounty Basic because mm-hmm. they were like we need to appeal to customers who are cautious about their cash and they're going to go for the equate laundry detergent rather than Tide and so we want to create a, le- a lower a level lower than Tide so we can reduce our costs and when the recession is over we can basically phase out Tide Basic. And Tide Basic was like yellow in color, not Tide Orange in color, and so people reach for it because it'd be between Equate and Tide. And then like when the recession was over, Tides like we're done with this basic stuff, give and us you know, back uh, our a money. Formula,
0: was it the same formula, just different color?
1: I'm not sure if it was the same formula or different color. I would imagine it's slightly different because like P and G is generally like has a lot of integrity when it comes to that kind of stuff. But you know they weren't like you know what, let's make a really shitty laundry detergent because right. they're like we have the bri- brand equity of Tide here. Right. Maybe it's a little bit cheaper for them to make, and maybe instead of eighty water it's 82 percent water sure. and maybe instead of you know one percent terrible chemicals it's two percent terrible chemicals uh but i bet it was in that vein yeah but the one thing i've realized when it comes to private label is like i never want to compete on price like dollar shave club was all about we're going to compete on price and be the cheapest guy out there wish is going to beat you you know some <laughs> chinese manufacturer yeah. Wish's number one product you were talking about chicken and uh Wish's number one product for a while was um 400 toothbrushes for like a dollar 75 wow which is, you know, uh, forget about using a toothbrush for three months. You only have to use it for one day. And it's yeah. like a very good uh, cost-effective toothbrush if you buy it from Wish. I never want to compete on price because somebody's going to beat you there. I couldn't agree more.
0: And it's just a race to the bottom.
1: Yeah, complete race to the bottom. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's switch the lightning round. A bunch of stuff happened. One is uh, interest rates. Interest rates uh, went up. By 0.5% today. Basically, the Fed has announced that hey, we are going to keep interest rates going up because we think the rece- like we think inflation is still really bad. Everyone else has sort of priced in the idea that in six months the Fed is going to change their mind and they're going to start bringing interest rates down again. I don't have that opinion. Inflation is still 7%, which is an ungodly amount. Mm-hmm. Like you need to get a 7% uh, raise in order for you not to have a raise between 2022 and 2023, you need a 7% raise in order for there for you not to make any more money technically. Right. And that is just too much uh that's too expensive, I think. Yeah, and, that's a lot. And so I think the Fed is uh, I have, I have a contrarian what opinion. What was the there. thing
0: that you tweeted about your uh You tweeted something about, like, uh, locking up property or trading property.
1: Yeah, some guy emailed me, and I've invested with this guy in the past, and he's like, hey, we have this opportunity. You can can loan us money on our real estate portfolio for 6% interest a year. So basically give us $100,000 at the end of next year, we'll give you $6,000. And, you know, you can't ask for your money back early and we could lose this money. And if anything goes wrong, you might lose money. And, um, you know, you're guaranteed to get, you know, otherwise you'll get 6%. And I'm like, the U.S. government is offering me 5%. And the U.S. government has no chance of going bankrupt. They're risk proof. And I can like if I need the cash all of a sudden right away, I can just sell it tomorrow. I can sell it and get cash. Yeah. Like let's say I want to go buy a house or a car or you know, sign up for a Yachto and be able to afford it. I can sell my US Treasury and go and pay those guys. Yeah. But you know, this guy was like, hey, it's six percent and we'll give it to you in a year, and maybe we'll give it to you in a year. Like there's risk, you know, the you know, real estate could crash and then you're fucked. Right. Um, you know, someone could have committed fraud and then you're fucked. You know, the interest rates could go up a lot and you can't, you know, there's no liquidity. You can never sell it for a year. I was like, why would I only get 6% for taking all of this risk when yeah, the U.S. Yeah, government is giving me 5%? No risk at all. And in, in like New York State, there's taxes, right? There's state income taxes. Right. The 5% is not subject to the state income taxes. Wow. The 6% from this guy is subject to the state income taxes. And so I was like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Now I see I do use that line a lot. Actually, that's, I just realized I use phrase. that line a lot. I'm gonna make a
0: button <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where you press it instead of saying that was easy, it's just yeah, gonna it's, be your voice. go fuck go yourself. Go fuck yourself.
1: That guy, I was like, this is an outrageous deal. And to be honest, like, you know, I invest in a bunch of real estate still, and there are people who are like, oh, look, we built this building and we leased it to Chipotle, and it costs it'll cost you three million dollars. And every year you'll make five and a half percent of like your three million dollars back. And you know, Chipotle is not gonna go bankrupt anytime soon, so you're pretty safe. And I'm like, why would I do this at the end of this time period. First, I have a shitty building that Chipotle may not want anymore. And it's specific to Chipotle. Second, if Chipotle may go bankrupt in the next 10 or 15 years, who knows what happens 10 years from now. Right. Uh, And third, the U.S. government is doing the same thing still. You cannot pay me five, five and a half percent when the U.S. government is giving me five percent tax free. Go fuck yourself. I was so I get so angry when I see these things. So anyway, that happened. A couple other big things that happened. Um, one is there's a new CEO of Honest mm-hmm. and the stock went up. I always, like, you know, when Steve Ballmer stepped down as CEO of Microsoft, the stock went up like 10% that day because everyone's like, this motherfucker is finally out of here. <laughs> we got a person who's going to be able to run this business well. I just thought that was interesting. Honest because stock went up. But here are the two things that I really want to talk about. Kevin O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary is Mr. Wonderful. He would endorsed uh, FTX for a long time. Yeah. And so he was re- he was doing an interview last week with uh, this guy, Andrew Ross Sorkin, on the, uh, from the New York Times, who's on CNBC as well. And Andrew Ross Sorkin was like, how much did you lose in uh, FTX? And he's like, I may have lost around $9 million. It might be zero. It's too early to tell. And he's like, you got paid for endorsing FTX. How much did you get paid? $15
0: right?
1: $15 million. Yeah. That's right.
0: Can you believe that? That's insane. Nobody. He's still to this day defending yeah. FTX. Yeah.
1: yeah, he absolutely is. And like um, the amount of money he got paid for endorsing FTX is an absolutely ungodly amount of money. Yeah. And he's like, you know, that's a different conversation. I'm like, people thought you got $50,000, $100,000, $200,000. You got paid $15 million. You might have lost $9 million. You're up a fortune. Yeah. This is better than any one of your Shark Tank investments. And it may be, like, I don't know how rich Mr. Wonderful really is. I think a lot less rich than people assume. Yeah. This is a cash cow for him. Like, this is a significant portion of the amount of money he earned in 2022. And I would challenge him to release his tax returns to prove me wrong there. I don't believe that it's not a significant portion of his income.
0: I mean, you know, if you book a video on Cameo, it's $1,500. If you want him to make a video that you can run as an ad, it's seven grand. This guy definitely got $15 makes, million
1: dollars for that.
0: Yeah. He definitely makes way more money off of, you know, his TV persona for sure. And, the ability for him to get on CNBC and, and spew whatever than he does in any of the other. Than
1: a, a real businessman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, uh, SBF should have just paid him the $7,000 and then done it instead of paying him exactly. $15 million. Yeah. Terrible. Also, the other thing that came out was FTX was running their accounting on QuickBooks. Did you see that? I saw
0: that. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. On QuickBooks. That's insane. And they were approving things with emojis. Yeah. That like, you know, maybe they could give the thumbs up, you know, the hundred or something like that. But like QuickBooks, that's bananas to me. crazy Okay. One other thing I wanted to talk about in the lightning round was, you know, Elon Musk is a free speech absolutist. He says he's a free speech absolutist. You know, he bought Twitter. He's going to bring free speech to Twitter. Uh, That promise lasted for 30 days, I thought, when he said Alex Jones, he uh, prohibited Alex Jones from coming back on Twitter because he said anyone who uses... Children, the death of children for gain, political or financial, is uh, unwelcome on Twitter. Basically, now who uses who uses the death of children as for political gain? You know that's determined by Elon Musk, which I thought was the death of the First Amendment, like you know the free speech absolutism. You know, when the, all those children died in Sandy Hook, which was a terrible tragedy, the one that Alex Jones took advantage of, you know who else kind of took advantage of it? And I think in a right way, which was Barack Obama, who's like, "We need gun reform and we need it today. Right. We just saw a classroom full of children slaughtered. It's unconscionable." Right. You know what he did is he tried to take advantage of it for political gain. You know, you would say, "I of course I want like, you know, this tragedy should be used to make America better." Right. And, you know, Barack Obama is and should be on Twitter, in my opinion. Where is the line of what someone does for political gain or where what someone doesn't do for political gain is determined by Elon Musk. Yeah. And the other thing he did today was ban the Elon Musk Jet Twitter account. Did you see I that? I saw that.
0: And uh, it's like all over the Truth Social app. Like that account is now the Elon, Elon Jet account to follow on Truth Social. Oh, is that right? Which I, yeah, rarely open, but... Um,
1: wow, you have a Truth Social account. I admire well, just that. Just snoop
0: and see what yeah, the yeah.
1: ads they're running, yeah. which
0: are like drop shitty, yeah. drop ship garbage. But yeah, it is kind of crazy. Like the basically, I mean, I think it's the reason Disney decided not to buy Twitter, which is who decides what is free speech and what is not yeah. free speech, and where's the limit? And you know, even they uh, they had like the head of trust and safety at Twitter. And, you know, it's like, all right, well, fine. We assembled a team or we have a leadership organization completely dedicated to deciding what goes on and off Twitter. But it's like, then those guys are going to be the ones under scrutiny. It's yeah. always going to be somebody, you know, who's getting their balls chopped.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, I'm not saying it's an easy problem. I think it's an in- infinitely hard problem. In fact, I would never want to be like, this is the line that we draw and don't draw because there are people who are going to be upset about it no matter what. Right. And like, you know, uh, the tr- line that Elon Musk drew is somewhat no. Like, you know, Noble is like, OK, we allow, you know, Voltaire has this quote that says, I don't agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And that's sort of what where Elon Musk came out with, with the First Amendment. And, um, you know, he was like, look, I don't agree with a lot of people on Twitter, but I'm going to let them we need a, a you know safe haven for free speech and Twitter will be that town square. And now I'm really curious to see how all these uh, Silicon Valley elitists who were like, this is going to be great. We're going to defend free speech and go go Elon Musk and Twitter, contort themselves in, you know, the crazy, they're going to win gold medals in the gymnastics because they're going to contort themselves and say, this is fine. This is still within the bounds of free speech because, uh, you know, it's Elon Musk security or, you know, Alex Jones doesn't deserve it because he did do terrible things, which he did. You know, like you have to contort yourselves to fit into this. You know, it reminds me of that great animal farm saying, which is all animals are created equal except some animals are more equal than others, Well, all free speech is welcome on Twitter, except some free speech that's, you know, against what Elon Musk's views are. Exactly. Okay, let's move on to the uh, final round, which is uh, a bunch of stuff that we've seen about great brands. What are some great brands that you're uh, loving right now?
0: Yeah, so there's one that I've been looking at more particularly because I think, I think apparel, I think there's three categories that are really hard. Apparel, anything to do with scent, and anything with uh, beverage. Scent and beverage because you can't get a taste or yeah. sniff of it before it arrives. And apparel because you can't like feel the quality. One brand that I love a lot is called Soft Serve Clothing. They're based out of San Diego. Uh, one of the co-founders is Indian and his wife might be like half Indian, who's the other co-founder and the CEO. But... They do a phenomenal job when it comes to uh, the site experience and making it a quick and easy site experience. The clothing is also just phenomenal clothing. The packaging it arrives in feels much more premium than I would say the site feels. And it's also a a shirt that like lasts through a bunch of washes. And
1: what's it called again? Soft serve -serve clothing. clothing. Okay, that's a really interesting one. Yeah. Um, Okay, mine is this company called uh, Kizik, which is actually uh, shoes for older people. Uh, at least I think it's meant to be shoes for older people. And so I bought my mom a pair of these shoes because I was like, uh, you know, you're getting old and she's had all she's had some health troubles uh, recently. And I was like, you need to walk more. And, you know, your kn- knees used to hurt and all this kind of stuff. So I bought her these shoes uh, to try out. You know, my mom didn't love them right at the beginning. And I was like, you're going to wear these because we got to see if they're better for you or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, she's like liked them. She doesn't like the look of them, but she likes how they feel but it was a brand that i randomly found cuz i was like there's a direct to consumer brand that's focusing on shoes for older people i bought my dad a pair of adams
0: nice um, those are re- comfortable
1: those are really comfortable yeah. you know the hard part for older people is that they just don't like to bend down or it's not it's yeah. not like safe to be honest to bend down when right. you're in your 80s or 70s or 90s or maybe even 60s totally. when you're putting on a pair of shoes the adams story is really great i'm not sure if you like you know they were on humans of new york it's yeah. these two pakistanis uh, i thought that was really great
0: that's awesome. What about from a CRO standpoint? Who are some brands that you like?
1: Yeah. What I really liked, uh, I was looking at this company called, you know, Olipop. Love Olipop. Uh, I love Olipop as well. And um, I didn't realize you have a Favorite this. flavor? A flavor it. I like root beer. Uh, I have not tried cherry soda, which I yeah. tried to get, but I think it's only a target or something like that. I haven't huh. been able to find it. But what's really fun is like, you know, when you're selecting a, a flavor, uh, they change the entire color of the background as you're going through it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. You select like cherry soda and then the background turns red. You select grape and it turns purple. And you know, at Native, we never did anything this clever. And when I was going through it, I was like, oh, I wish I'd done something like this.
0: It's a small thing that makes a huge difference. And just makes it more exciting to like click and, yeah. and just discover other flavors. Yeah,
1: yeah, it makes it more, and it makes it very clear that you've changed flavors because <laughs> you're like, the color has changed. What's going on here? Right. The one I
0: noted for, for CRO was Ridge, yeah. Ridge Wallet, uh, Ridge.com. They do, I think they just do a good job. I mean, their checkout does not feel like a Shopify checkout. And it also feels like a checkout that my grandma could go through and not get lost. Really? Which I think is the perfect barometer of uh, good conversion rate optimization. But the other thing they do is they're so good at making sure every step is consistent. So for example, you get to their homepage right now, it's a, there's a 40% off sale. When you get to the slide out cart, you know, it doesn't just say, here are some add-ons. It says, get up to 40% off popular add-ons. Like yeah. they, they remember to add that in yeah. specific to this sale. And then when you get to the checkout, it reiterates it again. You see the Norton secured badge. You see, you know, all these credit card logos at the bottom. You see easy access to click the refund policy. Like everything that you could think of as a purchase objection is handled right there.
1: This guy who used to work at HelloFresh told me that the Trustpilot logo would actually in- result in increased sales. Wow! I always thought it was bananas because I was like, I never trust Trustpilot.
0: Logo. Yeah. Just and the just- funniest thing too is like, if you click and drag on the credit card logos, it's like one image. Yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> you know what's crazy, At Native all the time, people would be like, I'm not gonna buy from this company because there's no lock next to your credit card form. Yeah, And I was like, do you want me to put in the image of a lock? Is that what it you works. prefer? Yeah. And that, that that's exactly true. It does work. Like putting in the the image of a lock and saying, you know, this form this is like secure and encrypted and protected by, you know, an SSL certificate, which no one even understands because, you know, yeah. we understand it, but a lot of people don't understand it is actually really effective. You're talking about rich. I always thought that there was uh, the, there could be a company that existed that catered to older people when it comes to e-commerce almost like zappos 1-800 number right at the top yeah. all the font is slightly bi- all the checkout page all the font is slightly bigger forget about cro the way we think about it yeah it's cro in terms of like jitterbug an old CRO. yeah exactly yeah jitterbug cro <laughs> i know how to uh, complete checkout because there's one big button that says check out another one that says go back to the page that you were previ-. it doesn't say back right it says go back to the page you were previously on that's what the button says you exactly. know because like that way someone's not like back what does back mean they're like oh this is the last page that i yeah. was on yeah exactly. and so so, I always thought that there was some sort of opportunity for someone to create an Amazon or some sort of exp- or an Amazon like experience or direct to consumer experience. You know who does that? Is people.
0: like, if you've ever seen those, like, really scummy looking Taboola ads yeah. at the bottom of, uh, in the Taboola widget and you click them and they're like, you know, a mile long sales page. Yeah, they, I think they call them like a sales letter page or something like that. And it's like, you know, they're selling some kind of a spray that's going to make your immunity stronger or some kind of bullshit like that. Yeah, But they cater towards that. They have the big photos with senior citizens holding hands, yeah. looking happy, big, bright buttons, you know, exaggerated reviews, with yeah. big stars. So you can see it all.
1: Yeah, they're, they're like, uh, there is opportunity there for people to like do that type of conversion rate optimization for a, a segment of the population that is growing like there's no tomorrow yeah. and is not catered to at all. Exactly. Okay. Should we get to this Twitter question now or at the beginning of the next episode? Yeah. Um. I think it should be longer, which is like, uh, it should be a longer response so I'd love to do it in the beginning of the yeah, next one. Yeah, let's do it at the next okay, one. Okay, yeah. And the question is really how to determine what product to launch. You know, we've got a bunch of listeners to this podcast and some are starting brands or some are doing less than a million or starting and they haven't launched a product. Some are doing five million and some guys are doing a hundred million. And I think like a lot of people who are starting are like, how do I determine what product? I want to run an e-commerce business. I've got 40 ideas and I have no idea what to start. Um, how do I decide what to start? Yeah. Uh, and I think this will be a great longer answer that'll take up a bunch of the next episode, but I think we can do a great job here. Totally. What else are we
0: talking about on the next episode? I'd love to talk about, there's a cool report on business of fashion that came out around checkouts across different luxury brands that are more efficient, less efficient. Oh, so I was not to that and bring some, bring Let's some examples see that. for
1: that. Well, wow, that's great. Conversion rate optimization is so undervalued.
0: Super undervalued. And a, a lot of times too, like People build sites with branding agencies or a website agency, whatever it is, even if it's just like a Shopify theme that they customize. And then they don't iterate on it. It's like you buy a car and then, you know, you don't put gas in it to continue driving.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, the, the ways there's so many ways to iterate, right? Which is you've launched a new product. You've got to figure out ways to cross sell those products. Right. You've got to figure out new funnels and new landing pages for the new products you've launched because they may perform better than the old products. Yeah. You yeah, and it's not just like Sierra on your website. You gotta change your email flows to reflect the fact that you've got new products and you wanna cross-sell them. And you're like, hey, turns out the people who buy Alipop Cherry Cola also want this flavor, like this cherry, you know, cherry vanilla as well. Like, you know, you've got to think about it constantly and particularly brands that are doing like sub a million or $2 million just never think about it. And it's, it's so important because like, if you're trying to figure out ads and they're not working, there's a decent chance that it's your landing page and you're not doing the right type of conversion rate optimization and people don't know how to go through the journey of purchasing rather than just being a problem of creative on Facebook.
0: Yeah, another thing I want to chat through is there's a platform I got a demo of today where you can basically plug in not only your Shopify and your ad accounts, but you can actually API plug in your apps. So Okendo for Reviews or you know your subscription platform, you know any kind of other apps that you use, you can actually integrate those into this one platform. And what it'll do is it'll help you score kind of like what you're saying about knowing if a cherry cola customer is more valuable than a root beer customer, it'll help you understand, for example, all right, if somebody leaves an Okendo review, that type of customer, their LTV is predicted here versus a customer that comes in, buys once and maybe buys this flavor, their predicted LTV is here.
1: That's awesome. That's such a uh, useful knowledge. Yeah. That makes me think of this one other, you know, we always talked about a $5,000 business. Uh, someone could charge us $5,000 yeah. to do a pixel audit. Someone could probably charge me $10,000 to do a Clavio audit, which is, are all my links working? does one email in the flow have a really low open rate versus another email for some right. reason or another? Because you know you set those flows up and then you forget about them. Yep. And if you're a small business doing eight to $10 million yeah, a year, you never think about it because yeah. you're just like, okay, these flows are getting me some sales, but am I doing enough touch points? Like, you know, Am I emailing you day 30 and then day 90 and forgetting about all those days in between? Yep. Is there a product I no longer sell a part of that flow? Is there new products that I've forgotten to put as part of these flows? And I think someone could do a $10,000 clavio audit and be like, here are things that we think you should improve on your, on your site. Like you don't have a welcome flow for SMS, you know, like, uh, you need one for SMS just like you do for emails. Right. And so I think there's a lot of value there.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, that's a wrap for episode 11 and we'll see you on the last episode of this season next week. Sounds
1: great. Looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend?
0: And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.